Do you remember the last time that you made something with Lego? Maybe it wasn't that long ago, or maybe it was many decades ago, but I'm guessing that most of us know how Lego works. You get these tiny little pieces of plastic, all different shapes and sizes and colours, that on their own are unimpressive and kind of insignificant. Unless, of course, you stand in one in the middle of the night. Have you ever done that? That's painful. But when those pieces are put together, carefully and according to the right plan, you can end up with something extraordinary. Something like this. This is the tallest Lego tower. It's in Milan. And it measures over 35 metres in height. And it required over half a million pieces of Lego to make it. And then this next one is just for Bran. Just make sure he's keeping awake. This is a life-size X-wing fighter from Star Wars. It weighs over 20 tonnes. And it's made from 5 million pieces of Lego. And then there's a 13 metre high version of London's Tower Bridge. That's real cars that are sitting on top of it. And, it, and it's the largest Lego structure at the time with over 5.8 million little Lego blocks. On their own, each piece is small and kind of useless. They have no function. They don't really make any sense. But when you put them together in the right way, they can make something amazing. That's kind of like the church. In this next section of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul described the church in a similar way. To encourage us to play our part in the body of Christ. So hopefully you have a Bible with you. So if you do, then please open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to read from verse 12 down to verse 31, the end of the chapter. And Treve is going to come up and he's going to read it for us. Thanks, Treve. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the same, the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and just indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Thank you very much, Treve, for reading for us this morning. Here Paul was continuing his teaching on the use of spiritual gifts in the church. As we saw last week, spiritual gifts are the gracious gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to empower everyone who's trusted in Jesus. They're given to enable us to serve in God's kingdom and for God's glory. And we saw that this is a common experience of everyone who's trusted in Jesus, and that should help us to express the unity that God has formed within the community of God's people. (coughs) Excuse me. But unfortunately, this church was pushing against this truth. They were arguing over what was the most important gift. They were seeking to use them to promote themselves. And so in this section, Paul challenged these ideas by describing the church as a body. So verse 12 says, The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. A human body contains so many different parts. We could think about the nine major organ systems. Or they are made up of 78 different organs, which in turn are made up from an estimated 37 trillion cells. Not sure how many, how you count those, but that's what they say. So many different parts, but together they make one unit, one body. And Paul says, so it is with Christ. The church is so identified with Christ that Paul describes it here as his body. And all of us who have trusted in Jesus are part of that body. And Paul says that's because, verse 13, through Christ, 
we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now last week we just touched on this controversy about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The typical Pentecostal view is that this baptism of the Spirit is an experience that some Christians have sometime after they've trusted in Jesus. And it's always evidenced by speaking in tongues or speaking in a different language. But that's not what this verse says, is it? This verse tells us that no matter who we are, or where we're from, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, or we could expand up to say religious or irreligious, rich or poor, male or female, young or old, when we trust in Jesus, we were all baptized into Christ Christ by the Holy Spirit, and we also drink of the Spirit. So why those two pictures? Why baptism by the Holy Spirit and also drinking of the Spirit? Well, I think this picture is a bit like a ship that is sunk in the sea. (coughs) Excuse me. When a ship sinks, not only can you see that the ship is immersed into the water, fully immersed in the water, but you can also see that the water is fully into the ship. So when we put our trust in Jesus, we are brought fully into the Spirit, but also the Spirit comes into us, to live within us. And it's this, the baptism of the Spirit and drinking of the Spirit, that brings us into the body of Christ, into the church. And it empowers us to live for Christ. And this is the fulfilment of a promise given by John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, the one who, 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 who got ready the, the people for, for having Jesus come to them. And John said about Jesus, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So instead of the baptism of the Spirit being an experience that some believers have, the baptism of the Spirit is the common, life-transforming experience of everyone who's trusted in Jesus. And it's this baptism of the Spirit that brings us into the body of Christ. So if you're part of Christ's body, if you're a Christian this morning, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so that means that there is only one universal church, which includes all the believers, right down through history, and across all national and denominational boundaries. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, of all. So that's the unity of the body of Christ. But in that body, there is incredible variety. Look at verse 14. 
Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So there's only one universal church, but the members of that church are incredibly different. Different in background, in experience, in age, in gender, in race, in culture, and also in their spiritual gifting. And as a result of all of that, they have different roles to fulfill. In verse 28, Paul listed eight of these roles. Four of them are actually connected to some of the gifts that we mentioned last week. But four of them are different. And Paul starts his list, verse 28, with saying, In the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles. Now they come first because they were the foundation of the church. They laid the foundation of the church. They were the men who were specially commissioned, personally commissioned by Jesus as eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And they were sent out to preach and to teach with authority. Now there's nobody alive today who is an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. So there's nobody alive today who's an apostle. But we still benefit from their ministry through the New Testament scriptures. Then secondly, verse 28 again, prophets. And third, teachers. They declared God's truth to the people. Another foundational role in the life of the church. And then there are those who demonstrate God's power through miracles and healing. There are those who express God's love through helping others. Those who are gifts of administration, or that could be translated leadership. And finally, those who speak in tongues or other languages. Now, of course, these are just some of the roles in church. Remember, we were looking at that last week, that, Paul, that there's no list in the Bible that includes all of the gifts or all of the different roles in church. So they're just an illustration that Paul gives of the variety that exists in the church. But the key thing is, this is God's design. God has appointed each of these people in their roles. Look at verse 18. God has arranged the parts in the body, whether it's our human body or the body of Christ, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Like those little Lego blocks, our differences are not a problem to God. Instead, this is actually God's plan. He has designed us so differently so that we can fit into different places and fulfill different roles in the community of his people. So what does all this mean for us today as we seek to serve the Lord as a local expression of the body of Christ, as a local church? What does that mean? Well, I think firstly, It means that we're not designed to live independently of each other. 
Now, individually, personally, we need to have a relationship with Jesus. We cannot depend on the faith of others. Maybe the faith of a, of a family member, or a parent, or a friend, to bring us into a right relationship with God. We can't do that. John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes. So we need to personally individually believe in Jesus as our Saviour and Lord. If we want to be right with God, we need to make a, a personal decision to trust in Jesus, to put our faith in Him. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't yet made that commitment, then please don't wait any longer. You can put your faith in Jesus today. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, then we need not just to personally have faith in him, but we also need to personally walk with Jesus each day. Jesus' challenge to us is, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We need to deny ourselves. It's our responsibility to deny ourselves, to take up our cross each day and to follow Jesus. And then as we saw last week, we're also individually gifted by the Holy Spirit to empower us to serve Christ. Remember this verse we read at the, at the end of last week, so each one of us, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Each one. We have that individual, personal responsibility to use the spiritual gifts that God has given us. So we're personally called to a life of faith. We're personally called to, to follow Jesus. And we're personally called to serve Christ with the gifts that he's given to us. But we're not called to live this life of faith or commitment or service on our own. Instead, we're called to live a life of interdependence as part of the body of Christ. So look at verse 21. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. A hand on its own is useless. You need the eyes to see what it's doing. Some of us need to get glasses as well because our eyes are getting uh, bad as we get a bit older and I won't mention any names about who's doing that. Then a head on its own. Well, that's immobile. Can't go anywhere. It needs feet to take it where it wants to go. So on our own, we can't accomplish all that God has for us. We need the other members of the church to minister to us. To empower us, to encourage us, to equip us, to live for Christ. None of us have all the gifts of the Spirit that we need. So Paul asked at the end of our reading, verse 29 and 30, Are all apostles? 
are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And the obvious answer that Paul wants us to get to is no. Nobody has all the gifts that are needed. And there are no gifts that are universally given to every believer. God has designed it that way. We're all different. That's why, for example, the job of a church leader, of a pastor or teacher, is not to do the work of the church. The work of the church is not done by the leader or the clergy or whatever you, however we describe that role. They cannot do the work of the church because they don't have all the gifts required. Instead, the work of a leader, according to Paul in Ephesians 4, is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The the work of the church can only be done by the church, not by one individual. This is what Jesus modelled in his own ministry. How he spent so much time graciously and very patiently teaching and training his disciples. That was so that they could have the privilege of of partnering with him in his mission. Jesus didn't do it all himself. He equipped and empowered and encouraged others to join his mission and to do it with him. And that's how he wants his body to, to, to function today. So if we are going to be everything that God wants us to be as a church, if we are going to do everything that God wants us to do, then we need each other. We are the body of Christ and we need to depend on each other. Secondly, we need to reject the idea of hierarchy in the church. We mustn't put some people on a pedestal because of their gifting and look down on others. We mustn't even do that to ourselves and put ourselves down. That's because we are all vital for the health and the ministry of this church. Look at verse 14. If the foot should say, because I'm not of a hand... I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In our bodies, there's no hierarchy that says one member is is more important than the other. If we are going to be as healthy as as we're designed to be, then we need all the parts of the body to function. God didn't stick spare parts in our bodies. We need them all. In the same way, it's wrong to think that we don't really belong to the body of Christ because we don't have the gifts or the role that somebody else has. Our role may not be so prominent. The gifting that God has given us by His Spirit might be a a gift that's used more privately than publicly. 
But that doesn't mean those roles or those gifts are any lesser. In fact, Paul went on to say, verse 22, On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. There are some parts of our body that are visible all the time. And they don't need any protection. They don't need any special treatment. We don't hide them or, or protect them or guard them. But there are, of course, other parts of our body that are kept hidden by clothing. And they need to be guarded. But that doesn't mean they're less important or less vital to our health. We treat them with special honour because they're equally important. So verse 24, God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it. Our ministry role that God has designed us for might be more hidden and unseen compared to others. But that doesn't mean it's unimportant. Instead, actually God honours this in a really special way. I think Jesus illustrated this throughout his life. When, for example, do you remember how he honoured the widow who threw the two little copper coins into the temple treasury? That was a hidden ministry. Nobody else saw it. But Jesus did and he honoured it. Or when he defended Mary when she poured that really expensive perfume on, on Jesus' feet. Others thought it was a waste, but, but Jesus honoured it. Or when he said in Matthew 10, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of, my, one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. A cup of cold water? That's not a prominent role. That's not, a, that's not an important role, surely. But that's how Jesus sees it. He sees it. He values it. And he will honour it. So if we want to look at the church in the same way that Jesus does, then we need to reject the idea of a hierarchy. Of some people being more important than others. Of that whole area of of titles and distinction and all of that kind of stuff. And yet instead we need to honour each member for the part that they play. We are all equally important, equally valued, equally vital to the health of this church. And God's purpose for this, verse 25, is so that there be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. We're so often tempted to compete with each other for rewards or or recognition or reputation. But that's not how the body of Christ is supposed to function. And the reason why it's not supposed to function that way is because this is not how Jesus functions, how he lived his life. This is not who Jesus is. 
He's not self-seeking. Mark 10.45 says, The Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to earth for his own benefit. Instead, he came to lay down his life for us, to pay the price of our sins. He humbled himself and took upon himself the nature of a servant and became obedient even to death on a cross. He wants us his body to follow his example to be like him so we are called to express our unity our oneness by caring for each other with selfless compassion with sacrificial love so if one part suffers every part suffers And if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Verse 26. So if you stub your toe on the base of the bed, you ever done that? Even one of the little ones. Boy, the whole body squeals with pain, doesn't it? It doesn't just, you don't say, oh, that's just my toe. The whole body, ow! Okay. But then if you kicked the winning goal in the World Cup, your whole body would celebrate as if the whole body achieved that great feat. The whole body shares in that glory. This is what the church should be like. We are called to come alongside each other and sympathise with those who are struggling. And we're called to celebrate and rejoice with those who are succeeding. No jealousy, no envy, none of this, oh well that's just them. That togetherness, that oneness. If we are one body, then we share in each other's pleasure and pain. We are called to be together in the good times and in the bad. This is the way of love. This is the most excellent way. And we're going to see that in much more detail next week as we look at chapter 13, that glorious passage in 1 Corinthians 13. So this is what the church should look like. We are many parts, but we're called to live as one body. Not in independence, but in interdependence, recognising that we need each other. Not with a hierarchy of gifts or roles, but honouring all who are playing their part, the part that God has designed them for. And not competing with each other, but caring for each other with selfless and sacrificial love. This is how we honour our Lord and Saviour. This is what it means to live as the body of Christ.